Hello, and thanks for listening to Healthcare 360, a podcast by Beth Israel Leahy Health. I'm Rob Fields. I'm the Chief Clinical Officer here at BILH, and I have a friend and colleague here with me today, Juan Fernando Lopera, who is our Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer. So thanks for joining us, Juan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. So Juan, tell me a little bit about how you landed in your role and what keeps you going to do this really hard work. Well, again, thank you for, for doing this, and thanks for having me. So I have been in the role now for two years, as of this past June, as the inaugural Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer here at Beth Israel Lee Health. And it's been a tremendous two years, really have enjoyed the work. And when I think about the journey into this role, kind of go all the way back to my roots. I was born in Colombia, mm-hmm. came to the States at age 12. My dad came first in 88, and he took the treacherous trip through Central America, mm. made it through the Rio Grande. I still have his the itinerary of his trip, a handwritten wow. itinerary of his trip. Yeah. And he left Colombia, our native Colombia, back in that time when things were not as good as they are today due to the drug cartels and situation there. He went through that trip, took him two weeks. Back then there was no WhatsApp or any right. uh, mobile technology right. to stay updated about his trip. But he made it safely, luckily, and came here for two years. We were away and reunited and then went through a lengthy political asylum process. Through that process, we faced a lot of challenges as many Mm -hmm. immigrant families Mm -hmm. do, not speaking the language, our immigration status being an issue. Mm -hmm. And I got to see firsthand how many systems, including the healthcare system, just did not work for people who had similar backgrounds or other backgrounds. And we turned to community health centers as the only place that would see us because we didn't have health insurance and our immigration status. And uh, I became the medical interpreter for my family as I was learning the language, uh, which as you would know as a doc, that does not uh, great safe quality care when (laughs) you barely, you know, you're only a 13 year old and trying to translate. It happens all the time. It happens too too many times to this day. So that, you know, I kind of shared that very personal journey because that grounded me in the work I do today. Despite all those challenges, I was blessed with many opportunities. I was able to go to Boston College on a full ride, scholarship there, academic scholarship. And then from there, went into consulting. I wasn't sure what exactly to do. And so consulting was a good starting point in my career. And I tried different industries. Healthcare really spoke to mission, purpose, especially given that lived experience I shared. So that's how the journey started into healthcare. After eight years traveling the country, working with many clients on healthcare challenges and transformational work in healthcare. I then decided to establish myself in a community um, and not be on the road all the time. So I then went on to Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts right at the time when Blue Cross was starting to really evolve and transform the way healthcare is paid Mm -hmm. from fee-for-service to value-based care. So I got deeply immersed in that work, which was also very connected to purpose, mission, how to make healthcare more accessible and affordable. So I got to do that for a few years and then went on to another large health insurer here, Tufts Plan, which has merged with Harbor Pilgrim. Was there for 11 years doing healthcare financing and healthcare affordability work. And there's where I got into DE&I before it even was as well known as it is today as an area of expertise, if you will. Uh, in 2014 is when I approached leadership and really made a very compelling business case around the importance of DE&I, not just as a the right thing to do, but also economically for the health plan, I built right. out a business case right. that said, look, we're missing out on a big opportunity in terms of new customers, new 
demographics that at the time the help plan was not as relevant with mm-hmm. and made that very compelling business case. And then they created the inaugural, actually the title is one you probably never heard of, Business Diversity Officer was my oh, title. Um, we very intentionally at that time didn't want to call it Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion yeah. Officer because at the time it was not as well developed in terms of a role and we wanted to make it very relevant and connected to Right. The business at the time. More strategic. The, more strategic, mm-hmm. right, and reporting into the CEO. So that put me down to this path that I'm very honored to be in and, and the role that I have now here at, at this really he held. Yeah. Well, and definitely want to dig in more in terms of that concept, right, of talking about equity beyond the mission pieces, as you and I have discussed now multiple times. And folks that know me have heard me say this multiple times. If the moral argument had been enough, we'd be doing all this already, right? So it's about how do we combine the the mission and morality and ethics of, you know, conflating a lot of those terms, but there's some element of all of those in this work and the strategic and business elements. But one, I don't think I knew that entirety of that story, which is really compelling and amazing in terms of everything that you've done and how you've represented your family and and your native country. Pretty amazing. And then you've taken on this challenge in a brand new system. I wonder if you can have any reflections as the inaugural Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer in a system that is so young and still trying to figure out, as the world is still trying to figure out this work in general. But even here, is that harder? Is that an opportunity? Is Mm. it some of both? I mean, I'll be quite honest. When I was first approached, I always immediately question how genuine our organizations are about this work. So when I was approached, that was sort of the mindset I had going Mm -hmm. into the conversations with leaders. And it didn't take long after speaking with Kevin, Dr. Kevin Tabb, speaking with Peter Charette, our chief strategy officer. He and I serve on on the Dimmick Community Health Center board. And there was also another executive who had Mm -hmm. been my boss when I was at Blue Cross, Deb DeVoe, who's now the commissioner of the Health Policy Commission. So when I spoke to a few folks here, I realized, wow, what a unique and incredible opportunity. And frankly, huge responsibility. Right. Given the size of Bethesda really he health. I always quote the... Spider-Man movie, you know, with Uncle Ben saying to Spider-Man, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And that's how I felt about this opportunity that, you know, I had been doing the work at an organization previously that was, you know, 4,000 employees roughly. And then to come to an organization that's got 36,000 employees, right. um, right. 14 hospitals now serving 1.5 plus million patients. I just saw it, saw it as a huge opportunity mm-hmm. to really expand on this work and have significant impact. And we clearly have the responsibility seeing what we saw with COVID mm-hmm. and then the country's racial reckoning. And this could be the place and is the place to really make significant impact. That's what kind of got me super excited about the role mm-hmm. when I came on more than two years ago now that could really collectively make an impact and having CEO who is so committed to this work and an executive team of Beth Israeli Health, and then throughout the system, our hospital and clinical unit presidents, the commitment they have to this work. And there's also you know, sort of bottom-up support. There's just a lot of right. employees in an organization that's this large. We have a lot of employees who really want to see us move, right. move the dial on this work. At some point, we'll have to come back and think about there are two buckets, right? It's the community-facing parts of your job and the team's job and to serve our community to get to the equitable outcomes that we're searching for and reducing the gaps. But there's also the workforces internally facing things too, right? Because we 
hopefully reflect our community for all the good parts and bad parts, right, in yeah. terms of how we develop and things like that. So love to talk a little bit more about both of those things. Before we get there, if you can tell the audience a little bit, when you come into this role with all of that responsibility you talked about, how did you think about just starting? Mm. You know, like what were the top one or two priorities yeah. when you start to Absolutely, yeah. So the first thing that we did is we and we spent a bit, quite a bit of time getting input on like what exactly are we trying to solve for mm-hmm. here? What is our vision? What's our north star? And we settled on a vision statement for D and I for Beth Israeli Health, that is to transform care delivery by dismantling barriers to equitable health outcomes, and become the premier health system to attract, retain, and develop diverse talent. So there's a lot of thought, as you can yeah, imagine, that went into right. that. And there's two components to that, as you were alluding to. We started with the care delivery side. That's what we're in. That's mm-hmm. the, the business that we're in, if you look at it that way. So we know that our healthcare delivery system does not deliver equitably to all. So we need to transform it. Right. And we think we have a responsibility to do so. And we have the capabilities to do so, given our, you know, we're the second largest private employer, second largest healthcare company in Massachusetts. So that's the first component. But we also know that in order to do that, we have to also attract, retain, develop diverse talent. So there's the two components. And so we set out the vision. We then said, what are our main pillars? The right. first pillar, no surprise, is workforce. And we know that we need to have a workforce that mirrors the increase in diversity in the communities that we serve. Mm-hmm. And we have goals that allow us to track the progress we're making. We right. look very intentionally and track our progress on new hires with a focus on areas where we have less representation. So leadership and clinical and care delivery roles. Yeah. So physicians, nurses, we have a goal that we track on an annual basis in terms of new hires. Second pillar is to eradicate health disparities across our patient population. Mm-hmm. And as you know, because you and I co-lead our internal quality health equity committee, we set out a very measurable goal. We started with diabetes, expanded to hypertension, and mm-hmm. we looked to close health disparities that exist as we've looked at our data across our diverse patients in comparison to the reference group, which right. is the majority white patient population. We saw a twofold disparity in hemoglobin A1C when we did the analysis between our white population and our black and Hispanic patients, so we set out a goal there that we've been making steady progress against and we expanded to diabetes. And then the third aim is the impact we can have in community. We have the community benefits, community relations team. I believe Nancy Kazin was previously on another episode of the podcast. That's right. Does an incredible body of work in terms of listening to community, prioritizing their needs and investing in communities. There's also within our community impact, a system of this size, we spend 4.5 billion on an annual basis in wow. terms of our suppliers right. in terms of our the goods and services we purchase so with that significant purchasing power mm-hmm. there's a lot we could do around economic inclusion right, right. opportunities we can give to minority owned women owned lgbt owned veteran owned businesses and we've been doing that we have a goal that looks to increase the spend with diverse suppliers on an annual basis and have actually significantly exceeded that goal the first year. Yeah. It had a great. 44% increase in the baseline spend. And we know that if we do that well, we can bring about economic equality that then leads to better health Absolutely. in communities. So yeah. 
the infrastructure are looking for. Juan, you talked in the beginning a bit about what drove you. One of the things I found interesting about your introductory comments is that we both ended up being motivated by the same things coming from different ways of our work, right, of how equity and strategy can be married. And you alluded to that in your earlier comments from the payer side, right? Like you found a business opportunity under the theme of equity. And I'm wondering now on the delivery system side, how you view that same concept in terms of that whole concept of evolving equity from purely mission driven, because it's always, you know, Mm -hmm. there's always a piece of that is part of our mission, as you said, and part of our values, but also it is strategic. But now you're on the other side. How do you translate that on the system side? Yeah, that's another reason why this opportunity was so compelling to me that I spent most of my career, even back to my consulting days on the payer side, learning and being immersed in how healthcare is paid for, reimbursed. And that gave me a great foundation, but I really wanted to see it from this side, the care delivery side. And it's great to have the payer perspective come into this role because we know, and I know this is near and dear to your heart in terms of population health, to really be able to impact the health of a population, it needs to be, we need to care about access, we need to care about affordability, we yeah. need to care about health equity. It's a nice way to complement yeah. skills I got to build on the payer side to come in now and think about all those different dimensions of how we can make healthcare more effective, right. higher quality for everybody. And we need to, you know, as a system, continue to remind ourselves of the great value that Beth Israel Leahy Health brings because we do provide care to such a large portion of our population Mm -hmm. here in Massachusetts. And we provide care that's comprehensive. We provide care that also is, I like to think, higher value than many of the other options that exist locally. And because of that, I think we also have the opportunity to improve on those health disparities that we discuss. Yeah. I know that you've been working on this since you arrived, and and hopefully some of the work we're doing on the clinical side augments it as well. But one of the concepts is that often the healthcare system as it's currently structured, which really hasn't changed in over a century, right? You ultimately make an appointment, you see a human, and you know you get a diagnosis and a treatment, maybe some diagnostics and a prescription. You know, it's kind of right. the same model. But in modern healthcare, there are a couple of things, and I think COVID highlighted this that. You know, you have to have some degree of affluence and flexibility to allow really fit into that delivery model, right? right? You have to be able to take time off work. Mm. You have to be able to wait in a waiting room because we're never on time, uh, right? And as much as we aspire to be. So you have to wait and you have to have that flexibility and not have your job be at risk, for example. And so if you're on the fringe, sometimes that gets hard. And I know that you've started to think about delivery a little differently. How do we support people at home, for yeah. example, right. you know, with some early attempts at or early initiatives on blood pressure management right. at home and navigators and things like that. How do you, you know, I'm sure you see other opportunities, but if you think about other like one or two high priority areas yeah. that fit in how delivery should change to absolutely. meet your equity goals, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, absolutely. I think we do point back to what we learned through COVID because we were able to bring resources to people as opposed to expect right. people to come to us. And right. I think that's what needs to be applied for every aspect of healthcare delivery, especially we're going to try to close those disparities that do exist right. you know, with COVID 
and this is before coming here, but I know a lot of similar work was done here, but this really helped. There were these mass vaccination sites where we expected people from communities to go there. It was more efficient for the system, right. uh, as opposed to thinking about what would be more efficient for the people in the communities. And that model worked to a degree, but then we still had places like Chelsea, at one point the epicenter of COVID, in terms of its impact really across the country. Mm -hmm. um, and people were not going to those from shelter we're not going to those mass vaccination sites right instead mobile clinics started going there people were getting you know, i was involved with an initiative that brought mobile clinics as well as hire people from the community who spoke the language and then when people were getting vaccinated we ensured that we weren't asking for unnecessary paperwork because people were afraid, you know, perhaps due mm -hmm. to their immigration status to get vaccinated. So there were many ways of overcoming these challenges of trust in the system that we should learn from. So as we think about the work we're doing now at the ILH mm -hmm. with diabetes, hypertension, we're trying to take a lot of those lessons learned and we've applied that into health navigator roles that mm -hmm. we've hired. We've prioritized hiring people from the community and it really is a requirement for the job. You have to be bilingual to mm -hmm. hire bilingual health navigators who can help with all the other stuff that really gets in the way of the few minutes you have with your primary care dog. Right. You're more worried about housing stability, maybe more worried about food and security. So mm -hmm. that's what the health navigators will help with. You mentioned too, work that we're doing on monitoring people at their home uh, mm -hmm. with continuous glucose monitoring devices, with blood pressure cuffs. So right. those are some of the tools that we brought to parts of our system where we saw the most disparities. And we did the analysis. We did a top five practices that had the most disparities in diabetes, right. hypertension. And, and it was places like Chelsea, Bowdoin Street, yeah. and some of our affiliates, such as Cambridge Health Alliance, Demic, and then our Boston BADMC primary care practice as well. Uh, so that's the approach that we'll continue to take. We'll go deep into analyzing where the health disparities exist, and then we'll bring in interventions that are culturally competent, that provide the language access that is necessary to yeah. really move the dial and closing those disparities. And we're starting to see some early results. I mean, the data is still young, but we had baseline. We understood the disparity uh, across different racial groups, and we're tracking it now through April of 2023, and we're seeing especially in diabetes, because we've been doing that work, health disparity work for two years, we actually have seen the gap begin to close. That's amazing. You talk about data and you alluded to some of the, you know, it's early stage and we definitely have some gaps. There are so many things we could talk about. Maybe we'll come back by a different time and get into the weeds of the data piece. But one thing I hear often from around the country, from colleagues or those that are thinking about how to organize their population health work for equity, the first reaction is always, I need more data. Mm -hmm. You know, I need more data. But it strikes me, I'm going to guess when you start to look at there are disparities in hypertension and things like that in the communities that were affected the most by those disparities, I'm going to imagine it wasn't a surprise, right? And, That's right. And so I wonder, so I'm going to make a statement and I'm curious about your reaction to it, is that I fear that a lot of times the lack of perfect data is often used as an excuse in some ways to not take action and right. and actually just try to have an impact. Agree, disagree? Yeah, or absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree that that's often used as an excuse. And the reality is, as we looked at our data, there was plenty of data for directionality, as I like right. to call it. Right. Uh, and there's plenty of research that points to 
the disparities that do exist. So you right. don't need data perfection to take action. And that's the approach we took. We actually, I was pleasantly surprised. We had plenty of data in ra right. race, ethnicity, self-reported race, ethnicity. That's because I came from the payer side where there's much less sure. self-reported. Most of it And some of that's true. Yeah. Um, there were some delivery systems right. that also struggled. So I'm yeah, that's thankful right. we, we didn't struggle as much. Yeah, so we were in the 80 plus percent self-reported across multiple EMRs because right. that was the first year. Right in the health equity work that we did, we said, let's look at our baseline sure. completeness of data. So we have enough to get started. Mm -hmm. um, we still have to continue to improve data collection, especially as we go beyond race, ethnicity, and we'll always look to stratify based on race, ethnicity, but we also care about other aspects of diversity, right. sexual orientation, gender identity, disability right. status. Those, the completeness of such data is much less, and with as we move to a single instance of EPIC in right. the coming years across our entire system, we're going to be uniquely positioned to really have more robust data collection right. to then go deeper into our health equity work and our health yep. disparity dashboard. But we started with the data we had, and that is what led us to the diabetes, hypertension uh, areas of focus where we had sufficient sample size because there's just a lot of our patients who have diabetes, hypertension, right. and then enough data to stratify and then go even deeper to do some of the hot spotting analysis mm -hmm. that showed the five top five practices with the most disparity. So we got the work going. We have a long ways to go. You know, it's just an ongoing process of improving data collection, seeing which interventions work, which ones don't, mm -hmm. continuing to calibrate, and it's a journey as we know. Yeah, absolutely. As we're running short on time and thinking about some closing thoughts, putting in a plug that we'll probably have to have you back and Absolutely. we'll get dive deeper into some of the stuff. We didn't even get to all the workforce things I know we wanted to talk about, but what maybe a couple of things, things that you're over these first couple of years in the role that you're proudest of, and then what you're most excited about in this work over the next year or two. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it takes a village. We know this work requires all of us to be involved in addressing equity and particularly health equity. So I'd say I'm most proud of the fact that there's significant support, sort of top down, bottom up for the work. There's been there's been a lot more involvement from regulators now. So there's requirements right. on us. Right. So that's created a lot of the catalyst for change across the system. And so I'm most proud of the fact that as a system, this is a priority for every single mm -hmm. one of our employees, of our leaders. So I'm proud about the work that we've done internally. I'm also proud of the, about the work that we've done externally. We could do a whole episode on that because yeah. we've been very actively involved externally, on, particularly on a group called the Health Equity Compact, right. which we co-founded with Michael Curry, who is the president of the Mass League of Community Health Centers uh -huh. and on the national board for the NAACP, a civil rights leader who I connected with two years ago. And I said, how do we do this? In collaboration, you know, there's so many areas where our system competes with other systems, but when it comes to equity, we should all be collaborating. So that led to the formation of this group, which is really looking to make health equity the next chapter in health reform in Massachusetts. And there's about right. 75 black and brown leaders who are running organizations locally, you know, folks like Dr. Kevin Churchwell at Children's, mm -hmm. Kane Hayes at Point 32 Health, and longer list of people who are collectively we can really make an impact. So yeah. anyway, there's a lot of work externally in addition to all the internal work that we're doing that I'm very proud of. Yeah. And what are you most excited about in this next phase of yeah. development? I'm excited to continue to show progress. I mean, it's yeah. um, we could take all the action 
and all the interventions we want, but ultimately it's about closing those gaps, yeah. showing progress. And I feel like we built tremendous foundation to begin to have that bear fruit for us as a system. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about the partnership with you, uh, Rob, from day one. I just saw that with your population health experience, your own lived experience in this work around health equity, I think there's a lot that could be done in collaboration Absolutely. between us and with our team. So I'm very excited about that. And it's going to be tough. This work is not for the faint of heart, yeah, that's for sure. Easy. And uh, and there's as many steps forward that we take as a country, as a system. There's setbacks. And I think we pick ourselves up and we sort of use that to learn more yep. and, and pick up more momentum behind the work. Keep going. Juan, thank you for what you do and your team. And thanks for joining us today. And I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. <laughs> And if folks have ideas for future episodes, please leave comments and don't forget to rate us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, talk soon.